0: Well, if you will, go ahead and turn to Acts chapter 7. We're going to spend quite a bit of time there. Acts chapter 7. I thought I'd actually go back and spend a little bit of time just talking about an account we hadn't reviewed in a while. Uh, and if you look at the title there, Gnashing Against the Christian Faith, uh, I simply usually oftentimes just make the title based on a, a passage from the Scripture. Uh, good for us to go back and to look at what the early church dealt with. And uh, for us to have an understanding uh, as we look at that and we compare it oftentimes to the society that we live in, the very fact that Christianity and individual Christians have been persecuted because of their faith is really without dispute. As a matter of fact, we can go back and we can look through uh, historical accounts, and we can even look today and see it right before our very eyes, And American Christians have long been on the losing end of really the culture war that we're dealing with. And we could go back and list a number of issues that people have as Christians, or if we use the word in a general sense, Christendom, have been involved in. Things like uh, the ability to pray wherever we are, for example, in school. uh, Things like same-sex marriages, things like abortion, and the list would go on and on and on where... Uh, Christianity as a whole stands against certain things and stands for certain things, but we oftentimes find that uh, we're at odds with the world around us. It's gotten even worse to the point where today's really their cultural secularism uh, has really become outright critical of the church or those who call themselves Christians. And it has even taken the mockery of Christians really to a whole new level in the mainstream. And if you watch TV, you see these types of things taking place. The majority of us have seen it before. And it's even gotten to the point now where the mainstream and, and many are even very vocal and outright critical regarding a number of the things that we as Christians hold very dear. And I'm talking about those things that we base on the Scripture, what the Scripture teaches that we should or should not be doing. Well, I began to go back and look and spend a little bit of time just looking at what we would call modern-day persecution amongst Christendom. came across a website, I think I had seen it sometime before, Uh, and what they do is is they actually record and they um, document current-day persecution on, as they call it, the church, or I'm going to use that word very general, Christendom. They state that 11 people per day who call themselves Christians, and we're using that in a general sense, the idea of Christian. But anybody who calls themselves a Christian, out of all those people, they say that 11 people per day are being killed for their faith or their belief in Jesus. Uh, And that's out of the top 50 countries that they watch on a world watch list for religious discrimination. I begin to go back and actually do a little more research as I thought about this, specifically in India where... The churches of Christ are very strong, uh, and there you find much discrimination and persecution against those Christians. But I want to go back to that stat. Eleven people per day dying because they claim to be a follower of Christ, a faith that teaches us to love our enemies and to do good unto all men. Now I say that, and then as I think about this, you ask yourself, should that really surprise us? Probably not if we're very familiar with our Scriptures. And that's actually what we're going to spend a little bit, little bit of time talking about today. And the idea was I wanted to spend some time simply talking about Stephen. We haven't gone back and reviewed Stephen. Most of you are very familiar with the account of Stephen. Let me give you just a little bit of summary here of Stephen and what we know about him before we really begin to get into um, his words and as we begin to take a little bit from that. Stephen was one of the seven faithful Christian men that had been appointed to oversee the care that was being given to the elderly widows. Later, as we go on, we're going to read a little bit about his debate and his defense of the gospel. And his opponents of the gospel, they attempted to debate with him, but they couldn't withstand his wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And it's because as he began to talk to them about Jesus and about the faith, and he even took it back and began to talk about the history of the Jews as it was really pointing to Christ, he was extremely bold regarding his faith, and he was really a fearless proponent of the good news of Jesus' resurrection. He spoke about the death, burial, and the resurrection without any fear, and we'll notice that as we go forward. But because they they couldn't keep up with him on a on a level of debate and they couldn't keep up with him on a level of logic and they couldn't overcome his arguments, they had to take a different mindset and that mindset was to become violent, to take a different approach to him and we'll touch on that too. They went to the religious leaders and they began to accuse Stephen of blaspheming both God and Moses and if you guys know much about the penalty for blaspheming, it was death. And so this isn't a small claim that they're making. They then even went out and they got witnesses. Not real witnesses, but they went out and they got witnesses who would testify against him. And so at that point, he was arrested, and then he was brought before the Sanhedrin. He was actually given the opportunity to defend himself. And he went on and he gave gave a remarkable speech, as we will look at here in a minute. He went back and he began to... If you look at it, it is really laid out, again, in a debate format. uh, And it is so logical, it's no wonder they couldn't overcome it. He began to go back and he began to summarize the Israelite history up to and including the building of the first temple there in Jerusalem. He then began to go back and connect the ancient rituals of the Mosaic Law to the new order of the things that had been brought about by Jesus Christ. In essence, what he was saying was... The old law was pointing to the new law, and Jesus' death, burial, and his resurrection, because he was the Messiah, has established this new faith. In short, what he was saying was there's a new way of worshiping God, and the way in which you worship God is no longer authorized. There's a new system in place because of Jesus' death and his burial, burial and his resurrection. And guys, this was a direct challenge to the Jewish leadership. They didn't want to hear that. He really didn't hold back as we're going to begin to pick up here in Acts 7 verse 51. After I read Acts 7 51, I'm going to go back and give you some information building up to all of this. But he doesn't hold back. He literally knows as he's standing there preaching this lesson, his life is really in their hands. And he knows very well that the penalty for blasphemy is death and he may be found guilty. And so he makes this last speech remarkable. Follow along with me in Acts 7, verse 51. Imagine speaking this as you know your life is in their hands. Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit, as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the just one of whom ye have now been the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Again, that word there, if you look it up, is really, they, they were infuriated. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. You guys ever seen someone grind their teeth? That's what's going on there. They're, they're not literally biting him. They're gnashing with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears, and they ran upon him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let me go back and spend a little bit of time building up to how all of this took place because you need to have a little bit of an understanding about Stephen and who he was and what he had already gone through before this really happened. How did he even get into this predicament? Well, we have to go back and begin to talk about the establishment of the church, first of all. We know that the early church started there in the city of Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost. And you had Jews who were visiting from many nations all around the world. And as you go back and look in Acts 2 verses 9 through 11, all the verses I'm going to cite even if I don't read them, they should be on here, and I'll try not to add too many by memory. In Acts 2, 9 through 11, there were a bunch of nations that were there within the city that were there to worship for the Passover. Uh, And so there were a there were a bunch of Jews within that city. We know the account there in Acts chapter three, or sorry, in Acts chapter two, that the gospel was preached, and we know that there were many Jews who obeyed the gospel. As a matter of fact, we learn very quickly over in Acts two forty one that the church grew rapidly. Uh, Acts verse uh, Acts two verse forty one says, "Then they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added unto them about three thousand souls." By Acts 4.4, we read that the church really had numbered, as it says, about 5,000 men. That's not counting the others who would have, uh, the women and so forth, that would have obeyed the gospel. Despite all the large numbers of those who uh, were obeying the gospel, we realize that a bunch of them were not from the city of Jerusalem, although they were staying there uh, because of the establishment of the church and you had the apostles there. And one of the things we learn is, is that despite all these large numbers, and even though the church was still a relatively small thing, we realized that the church really was taking care of and caring for its own. Listen to Acts 4.32. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. So you have many of these Jews who were there in the city of Jerusalem, they've They've left the faith of Judaism and they've become Christians. The church there is taking care of one another. Uh, And although a number of the Jews, I mentioned this this morning, although a number of the Jews did not leave the Jewish faith or leave Judaism as a whole, many of them looked at this establishment of the church and they thought very highly uh, of the people who were obeying the gospel. Listen to Acts 5, 12-16. And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them, but the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and couches, that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folk, and, they, and them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed every one. So you've got Jews there within the city who thought very highly of the Christians, and even so much so were excited by the fact that Peter and many of the apostles could still, they could heal miraculously their ill. So in in... The beginning with the church, they held many of them in high regard, and they held in high regard the things that they were doing. Part of the problem was is the Jewish leaders weren't ignorant of all of this. They realized that many of the Jews, although had not really left Judaism yet, looked at the church and held them in high regard, and they looked at it as a threat. We know so much so that they even on a few different times had the apostles arrested, uh, and, and with all of that being said, and talking about the establishment of the church and the many great things that were taking place, I'm not suggesting that they didn't have problems. Uh, things were not all perfect within the church, especially at the beginning. Uh, so let's talk for just a second about the church problems. And I'm going to keep this here in the context as we talk about Stephen. The church did have problems. They had both internal problems and they had external problems. I'll address one of the internal problems here in a second, but... We're going to learn real quick that one of the external problems was is they were being persecuted, and they were being harassed. But let's focus on the internal problem for just a second. Because we had these these Christians all there in the city of Jerusalem, and they were all from different foreign nations, and they hadn't gone back home, they were staying there because of the establishment of the church, Uh, there was a distribution of food that was taking place. And many of the people were complaining that their widows were being overlooked in this distribution of food. Notice acts 61 and in those days when the number of the disciples were multiplied, there arose a murmuring of the grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. right so their loved ones, their, their elderly widows weren't getting uh, taken care of and so they were they were boisterous about this and they took the, uh, they took their complaint uh, and the apostles they didn't have time to go into deal with this. They were out teaching the Word of God. And so their decision, and it was a logical one, was to go out and we'll find seven men and we will select them to oversee this work that the food was going to be evenly distributed. Now, among those was Stephen. And we're going to focus in on Stephen here. But Stephen was chosen because he was full of wisdom. And Again, when I say all that, the church had problems. I do want to point something out. As we read the problems with the church here, you'll notice that they're always told how to overcome the situation. Here, you have the apostles directly saying, this is how we are going to deal with the problem. And they appointed men. When you guys go and you begin to look into the epistles, and and as we look at a number of the problems that you would have with Corinth and so forth, it's always addressed and they're always told how to deal with it. And the reason for that is, is the church, we need to realize we're going to have problems, but we're to be overcomers. We're not to act like it's not going to happen. It will happen. And you see the example right here with Stephen. There was a problem, and they chose men to oversee this work. Stephen was one of them. Now, Stephen, in doing this, was also being involved in the preaching of the gospel. Stephen wasn't just focused in on doing that. He had other things that was going on. So let's focus in on his upholding the truth for a few minutes. We know that the entire church was going around and they were all being very evangelistic in nature. Christianity was spreading like wildfire within the first century. Everybody was talking about it, and even those that didn't agree with it, many of them looked highly to the Christians. And so there was a lot of talk taking place. Well, the Christians are saying that the Old Old Testament's no longer in effect. You can imagine the conversations that were taking place. And then they're looking at all the things that the early church is doing. And so you've got Christians going out amongst the Jews and they're all preaching and talking about the gospel. So much so that some of the Jewish priests were all being converted. Let me read to you Acts 6-7. And just imagine what this is going to do to the hierarchy within the Jewish leadership. Acts 6-7, And the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Can you imagine the uproar taking place with the Jewish hierarchy on the fact that their priests were leaving Judaism to actually become Christians? Guys, this is going to cause serious problems for the Jewish leadership. It's not, just the com- it's not just the common people now who are obeying the gospel. You now have the literal priests who are hearing the gospel and knowing the scriptures. They're now being converted to the New Testament faith. Well, among the disciples was Stephen. Again, we've already mentioned Stephen. He's already doing a great work on behalf of the early church, and it was a needed work. But Stephen is a very vocal individual, and he's vocal for a number of reasons. One He is one who is vocal regarding teaching. Two, he also has the ability to perform miracles, which he received by the laying on of hands. Listen to Acts 6.8. And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. Now, I'm not going to go back and spend much time, but uh, I, I didn't put it in your notes. We know that miracles confirm the word. Mark 16, 20. And so you hear you've got a man who is preaching the gospel. He has the ability to do the miraculous. And so people are seeing him do the miraculous, and it's confirming what it is he's talking about. Well, he worked among the people, and I think we have an indication here that he was a he was a key contributor who was going around and he was converting the Jews. In order to In order to deal with an oncoming army, the focus is always on the leadership, right? Well, as we begin to look at Stephen and we begin to look at what Stephen is doing, Stephen is carrying out a work, helping to carry out a work on behalf of the church. Stephen is one who appears to be very vocal. He's one who is going around and he has the ability to do the miraculous. And we find here that Stephen is very clearly a visible leader within the early church so much so that the Jews begin to focus in on him. He is is causing havoc, not against the church, but against Judaism. And so the scholars decide to come, and they're going to rise up and debate with Stephen. Listen to Acts 6, verses 9 and 10. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and the Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and and of them of Cilicia, and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. Let me pause for just a second before I read verse 10. It sounds like they brought a whole host of their theologians, didn't they? They brought a lot, apparently, of their scholars. And notice verse 10. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Stephen, not a trained orator, not a trained scholar, not a rabbi and yet He's standing toe-to-toe with them, and they can't deal with Him. And There's a reason why. There's a reason why. But they they couldn't overcome Him in debate points. His wisdom and His spirit of His delivery, it was too much for them. It was overpowering. And I think if you go back and you look at the prophecy of what Jesus said to the disciples, and really those who spoke by inspiration in the first century, and today those of us who recite that inspired word there's a reason why they cannot overcome notice what jesus said in luke 21 15 says for i will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay nor resist when you're quoting the word of god or or speaking in alignment with the word they're not going to be able to deal with it and they couldn't in the case of stephen and we're going to see why this causes why this causes them to become so angry they literally it appears they rallied up the best of the best that they had. And they intended to come and to really just put a stop to this, to really to shut Stephen down. They wanted to make him look foolish. And as we read this, in verse 10 it says, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. They sent the best of the best to make him look like a fool. And they ended up making themselves look like fools because they couldn't deal with, with His use of the Scriptures and His logic. And so, they begin to look like fools. I want you to notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1:22 through 25 He says, For the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. Unto the Jews a stumbling block, and unto the Greeks foolishness. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than men. They could sit and dispute with him, but they weren't going to be able to overcome his logic and his use of the Scriptures. I hope that we understand that that our warfare is not, it's not a physical warfare. Uh, We are trying to overcome strongholds and really our, Our primary method is through words. That's how we find the gospel was preached, and that's how we defend the faith. Listen to 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5. 3 through 5. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. Right there's your focus, against the knowledge of God. How do you get people to understand the knowledge of God? It's with words. He goes on, "...and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ." That is what Stephen is doing. Stephen is debating with them. He is using the Scriptures, and they literally cannot defeat and overcome the logic in his use of Scriptures. And so, what do you do at that point? Well, you turn it into a smear campaign. You have to begin to attack the individual. And again, this is not new. We've talked about this. Listen to Acts 6.11. Then they suborned men. I'm going to talk about that word in a minute. Which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. Well, you know, oftentimes when you can't overcome them logically or you can't defeat them through the use of Scripture, you have to begin to attack them. It happens in politics, it happens in religion. We've all seen it take place. But I want you to notice how this was all taking place. These lies being propagated are being done secretly. The word here, suburned, suborned, I mean, is the word hoopabalo. Now that doesn't mean a whole lot to you probably, but when you look the word up, here's what it means. It means to go out and to do something stealthily or secretly, and it includes the idea of doing it with uh, collusion, okay? You got Let me explain it this way. You've got people working behind the scenes together to go out and to literally uh, stealthily or secretly attack somebody. That's what that word means. Now, why are they doing this? Why are they working behind the scenes? Well, it's the same thing they really did with Jesus. They don't want people to know who they are. and They they don't want to be the ones who really are bringing this to the forefront. And so they're going to work with some other people. And they're going to go out and they're going to get people to literally testify against him, saying he's blasphemed against God and Moses so that they can, they can bring him in. Well, <clears throat> knowing this, the enemies of Stephen made sure that they weren't going to really be connected to this. Um, guys, people are going to slander those who are faithful followers of Christ. Listen to 1 Peter 2, 12-16. "...having your conversation, or your manner of life, honest amongst the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors, as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God." that with well-doing ye may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. They bring Stephen forward, and they're basically accusing him of all kinds of things. Now, we're going to notice this doesn't work either, because they could literally look at Stephen and see that this guy doesn't meet what they're saying about him. Now, again, this is part of the reason as Christians we're urged to live a pure life, in First Peter two twelve that we just read there through sixteen, he basically says that people are going to slander us because of our good deeds and because of the things that we stand for. And guys, that's that's become commonplace now. People mock Christians and Christian beliefs all the time. Uh, but he says, you know what? They're going to have to admit one day that the things that you do and the things that you said were actually good or pure or righteous. And Paul really goes on in Titus, I'm going to read it here in a second, and he basically says, why don't you make him work really hard, I'm trying to find something to accuse you of. Listen to Titus 2, 7 and 8. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech, that cannot be condemned, that he that is of the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say of you. Paul says, these are the way you need to act, so they literally have nothing that they can say bad about you. But guess what? They're still going to do it. So don't be surprised about it. And that's really what we find taking place with Stephen. They've got him there and he's a good person, a good moral person, trying to do right and be a faithful follower of God and they're basically calling him evil. And as they're doing this, this public display, it really shows the foolishness of their thinking. Uh, but unfortunately, guys, in any smear campaign, people are going to believe the lies. Listen to Acts 6.12. And they stirred up the people, and the elders, and the scribes, and they came upon him, and they caught him, and they brought him to the council. All right, so they go there, and they're accusing him of all types of things. They're having a boisterous conversation, debate back and forth, uh, getting everybody worked up into a frenzy, uh, and they're going to take him... Uh, so, that the elders and the scribes are, are literally going to take him to the council. This isn't any different than really what we read actually occurring with Paul over in Acts 19 28 through 32. And the reason all of this is taking place, and this, this wasn't an accident, when people get worked up into a frenzy, you guys, we can go back and think about some of the things that have taken place over the last two years where cities have been destroyed and burnt down when people begin to act like that they don't think clearly and they don't think logically and we know that's the case and they know that's the case they don't reason well listen to James 1 19 through 20 that's why we're warned wherefore my beloved brethren let every man be swift to hear slow to speak slow to wrath for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God that's true when when men get worked up into a frizzy and all of us know in our own individual lives when we become angry and we begin to get excited we don't think clearly we shut our brains off uh, I'm sure that you guys have never had that happen I have that's what's taking place with the crowd they can't win the debate so they get the crowd riled up they get their emotions going that way the, that way the debate that they were having they're not thinking about that anymore they're thinking about Stephen and what to do with him. well They had thought about that too, and so they went out and got false witnesses. We'll just accuse him, and we'll bring some false witnesses forward. Listen to Acts 6, 13 and 14. And they set up false witnesses, which said, This man ceaseth ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. Well, yeah, he did say that. You're kind of twisting his words there. He's going back to the prophecies that were pointing to the fact that Jesus did all of this in fulfillment. So what do we learn as, so far as we're beginning to look at all this? Well, sometimes people are going to hear things and they're going to reject it because they don't like what they hear. Uh, and they need, to, they need to feel like they're right or they need to oppose it. And I begin to think a little bit. Of, David spoke on this problem. Listen to Psalms 27, 11 through 13. And in in doing this to Stephen, they literally just brought false witnesses. I'm sure in their mind they could justify that. Notice what we find in Psalms 27 starting in verse 11. "'Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path, because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me.'" Huh, apparently using false witnesses is not a new thing. It was still happening uh, in the first century, just as it happened to David. He says, and such as breathe out cruelty, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Well, they've got him there at the council. They're accusing him of all different types of things, including blasphemy. And literally as they're doing this, now they hate hate him because of the way that he looks. Listen to Acts 6.15. It it wasn't enough that they hated him because of his words, but now as they're trying to attack, attack him... Now they even hate his appearance. Acts 6.15. And all that sat in the council, that's all of them, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. Let me pause for a minute. This guy's standing in a council, in a council who literally has his life in their hands, and they could kill him, and he's not, he doesn't appear to be quaking. He's not shaking. He's not distraught over what they're doing to him, even though they brought false witnesses up. It says he has the face of an angel. They're trying to tear the guy down. They're trying to destroy him, and he's literally there, apparently looking contently to the fact that it describes him with the face of an angel. You guys ever notice when people don't really get the reaction that they like or that they expect? It just infuriates them even more. This is the guy who should be quaking in his boots. They literally can drag him outside the city and stone him to death. He's not showing any concern. Well, here he is standing there with lying witnesses accusing him, and he looks like an angel. Oftentimes wisdom, not always, but oftentimes wisdom and honesty and sincerity are literally seen in a person's face. Listen to Ecclesiastes 8.1. "'Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine.' and the boldness of His face shall be changed. Quite often that is true. And I'm sure many of us have seen that in our own lives. Now it's been recorded oftentimes throughout Christian history or throughout many of the historical books that there were many who were considered martyrs who literally went to their death, stoned to death, crucified, whatever, with smiles on their faces. They weren't fearful of what was going to take place to them. And it appears right here that Stephen is not either. And that's because the glory of God is reflected in those of us who are faithful. And we know it. You can be right and know that the world may punish you and there may be consequences and you can be at at peace. Listen to 2 Corinthians 3.18. But we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the spirit of the lord so they have stephen there and the council is listening to him he's using the scriptures literally to point to the messiah he's telling the truth and they know it and they know it and they literally despise him and hate him for it and as he's doing it he has the face of an angel <clears throat> listen to acts 7:51 i'll read down to verse 40 to verse 54 again this is where we started off earlier this morning Ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before of the coming of the Just One, of whom ye have now been. You have now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, infuriated, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. He's literally speaking the truth to them. He's literally using the scriptures to do so. And as he is doing this, he is literally stomping on their toes. He's not just stepping on their toes. He's literally stomping on their toes. Well, people react in a couple different ways, really primarily two. when this takes place. The first way is this. Sometimes people will hear truth and they literally react to it, and it drives them to repent. And we have, a plenty, we have plenty of examples throughout the conversion accounts to show that. But listen to 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that you were made sorry but that ye sorrowed to repentance, for ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. We have examples of repentance taking place when people have been told the truth in both Christians and non-Christians. That's one of the ways people react. They'll repent, and then they'll do right. The other way is, is they get angry. They get offended. And sometimes they allow that anger and that offense to drive them to do things Which, to be honest, guys, probably should not surprise us. Here's the thing. Start turning over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Part of a preacher's job, and and really in all of our lives, whether you're having a private conversation with somebody or not, part of our jobs as faithful Christians is to teach people the truth. Now, regarding the preacher, oftentimes they need to rebuke error. Some of those rebuked are going to turn from their sins. Others, they're, they're going to turn on the one teaching them truth. Listen to 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 through 4. And this is, this is literally what's happening to Stephen. Paul tells Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom, to preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now in context, this is talking about the church. But we have to realize the same, the same types of ears and the same refusal to be in alignment with the will of God or to follow sound doctrine, that also taking place with the Jews. And they're very angry with Stephen, and they refuse to listen. (laughs) As a matter of fact, we've touched on this back in Acts 7, verse 57, like a bunch of kids. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. That's, That's the type of mentality you have when somebody cannot overcome another through debate or through logic based on Scriptures. All of the stuff that I've just told you, really contributed to why Stephen was stoned. And that's, that's not the only reason, though. And part of it, and really this is a whole other lesson, and we've talked a little bit about it. The other reason is, is well, he died because there were others that literally stood by and let it happen. Let's go on over and look at Acts 7, verses 57 through 58. Uh, before I read this, I just, I, I just want to say this, and I think many of you would agree with me who know your Scriptures. I think this passage right here, Maybe why Paul was such a hard worker for the church. Listen to Acts 7, verse 57 and 58. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. Saul could have stopped that but he didn't for a number of reasons. He literally thought they were doing right, and he didn't have any problem with his conscience. Hard to imagine that a follower of God would condone such a thing, but in his mind, and I actually real, I, I, I get where he was coming from. He literally thought that Stephen was doing wrong. He thought Stephen was blaspheming, and so not only did he not stop it. He seemed to really be giving consent to it. Well, let me go on over and read Romans 1.32. "...who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them." Saul consented to what was taking place to Stephen. Now I'm just using that as a lead-in to say, There are a number of people who will see Christians being persecuted and although they may not do it themselves, they consent through allowing it to take place. Just as a Christian may look at a sin and say, I wouldn't do that but I'm not going to be vocal about it and I'm not going to interfere and I'm not going to stop it. And really just through silence they oftentimes even consent it. And so we begin to look at Saul, who stands there and watches this, and you see Stephen being drug out, and it really looks as though he's alone. And they're taking these rocks and throwing and stoning him. But here's the thing, he's not truly alone. Follow along with me in Acts 7:54 through 56. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God. And Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. As this is taking place, and it looks like Stephen is alone, he's not. We literally have Christ standing on the right hand of God watching what is taking place. And it's interesting because this is not the only time we read about something like this. The one who literally stood and watched them stone Stephen would later go through a very similar thing. And he also would have Christ who would stand with him. Notice what Paul experienced as we find recorded in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17. At my first answer, no man stood with me. Remember how Stephen was giving his defense? Now Paul's doing it. But all men forsook me. I pray, God, that it may not be laid to their charge, notwithstanding the Lord stood with me and strengthened me that by, by me the preaching might be fully known, that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Very interesting that the one who stood there and watched this take place to Stephen now finds himself in a very similar situation. I think for me as I go back and look at that, and I know a number of the things that Paul dealt with, I can see maybe why Paul worked as hard as he did. Something else that's also very interesting, you'll, you'll notice that, Uh, with God on their side, both of these men didn't take any action against their accusers. Uh, And that's because I think both of them clearly saw that this life doesn't, the physical life doesn't really matter. They realized there was a whole lot more at stake. And the thing is, is for both of them, for Stephen and later as we find for Paul, their, their eyes were focused on the hereafter. What do we learn from Stephen? I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about Stephen today, but as we go back and look at what he went through, one of the things we have to realize, guys, is things have not changed a whole lot. We're going to face the same types of trials in our life. And unfortunately, many of the same tactics used really to attack those people in the first century will be the same things that people will do to us. And why? Well, just like Stephen, it's going to be simply based on what we believe and the way that we act. And because it's different from the world, oftentimes that's all they need to oppose us. Gnashing against the Christian faith was taking place in the first century. We see that with the account of Stephen still taking place today. And yet we can look at the accounts with Stephen and Paul and many of the other apostles and realize that through through all of it, we can be strengthened and remain faithful. As I draw this to a close, that's my concern for everybody, that we'd be a faithful Christian not complicated to become a Christian. Somebody simply needs to sit down and teach you so that you can believe Hebrews 11.6 so that you can understand what the church is and why Jesus came uh, and the consequence of sin so you can repent Luke 13.3 and 5 and to confess Christ Romans 10.9 and 10 and then to be baptized by immersion in water for the remission of sins Acts 2.38. That's how simple it is to become a Christian. After that's really the hard part is to go out and to teach the gospel and to remain faithful. If there's a way that we can help you in any way you can come forward as we're led in a song of invitation.